In this episode, Bishop Strickland and I sit down with Dr. Alan Moy, the research director for the John Paul II Medical Research Institute, to talk with him about their efforts to bring an ethical cell line to bear in the pharmaceutical market. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Eternal Father, you called St. Philip the Evangelist to open his mouth, and beginning with Scripture, tell the good news of Jesus Christ. By virtue of our baptism, we too are called to work for the salvation of souls. Instill in our hearts the zeal of St. Philip, that we may convert hearts and minds to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to the St. Philip Institute podcast. Our guest today is Dr. Alan Moy, founder and scientific director of the John Paul II Medical Research Institute. We are very happy to have Dr. Moy joining us today to talk about the work his institute is doing to bring ethical cell lines and ethical vaccines and other ethical medicines through ethical research to the market. Uh, This is a huge issue that a lot of people are concerned about with the COVID-19 vaccine Uh, rollout and the fact that there are none available that are completely free of a dependency on aborted fetal cell lines. So you are, you and your institute, Dr. Moy, are filling a need that so many people care about. And we're very glad and anxious to hear more about what Catholics can do to stay abreast of your research, to help you with fundraising to um, provide you with the things that you and your team need to get this research to market and um, and and things that we can do otherwise to help including praying so welcome to the show today with his excellency bishop strickland and and me stacy trusankos thank you for having me appreciate the opportunity to speak well, we'd like to jump right in. Um, can you, you, your your organization is a 501c3, and you founded it in 2007. Um, and I think a lot of people are hearing about you for the first time this last year. Um, you're grounded, even though you're a secular organization, you're grounded in pro-life bioethics that respect the dignity, as all research should, of human life and you have a name uh, after john paul ii of course that demonstrates your unwavering commitment to the culture of life can you tell us more about how your institute came to be today and what you're working on to solve this problem of ethical medicines sure so um so in 2005 i was i left my faculty position at the university of iowa I was in the Department of Internal Medicine. I'm a pulmonologist by training. Um, and so uh, we, myself and my, one of my co-founders, we, in 2005, we started a biotech company called Southern Engineering Technologies. And at the time, we wanted to provide um, an alternative to embryonic stem cells by providing commercial adult stem cells to their research uh, public, which at the time there was very little product available, and so in 2005 we launched uh, CET, and 
we heard among local Catholics that we were doing something inconsistent with the Catholic Church because Catholics were under the impression that the Vatican was against all forms of stem cell research. Um, and so we thought that it would be important to uh, create the John Paul, uh, John Paul II Medical Research Institute to provide a um, ed education and advocacy for adult stem cell research. What happened uh, shortly thereafter was that um, we received calls in, uh, from various Catholics around the country who raised concerns about uh, the, the number of secular research foundations out there who were supporting embryonic stem cell research. And so they asked us if we would conduct um, research, particularly in their particular area of, of disease interest. So as a small organization, we try to bootstrap the nonprofit to find out how we can then move towards being more of an educational and advocacy organization to being actually doing some type of research. So over time, we had, <clears throat> through word of mouth, uh, people calling us and ask us if we would w work on providing a solution to embryonic stem cells. So the two organizations, CET and JP2MRI, worked for seven years to develop a, a alternative, an ethical alternative to the embryonic stem cell. And in 2007, um, there was a a landmark uh, research by a Japanese scientist called uh, Dr. Yamanaka, who had mm -hmm. de developed a, a, a process called induced pluripotent stem cell re technology, where he, he took a skin cell, genetically reprogrammed it into a pluripotent or embryonic-like embryonic stem cell, which looks and behaves just like an embryonic stem cell, but you don't have to use an embryo to destroy it to make that pluripotent mm -hmm. stem cell. When he introduced this, um, um, that technology uh, took off. And what he found was that if you were to take a number, a handful of genes and introduce those into a skin cell, it would produce this what called IPS cell. The problem was that it lacks a number of safety issues, one of which is that it uses a cancer gene to make this reaction to occur and he used viruses to introduce that those genes. Um, so what he what they did was they, they eliminated the cancer gene and the tumor risk associated with pluripotent stem cells dramatically reduced. But they found that um, when they tried to move from viruses to non-viral systems, obviously for safety reason, they could not eliminate the tumor risk. So what our two organizations did is, over seven years, we figured out a solution how to eliminate the cancer gene and how to eliminate the viruses um, and do that efficiently. So to provide a actually a cheaper, safer, and ethical way to produce a pluripotent stem cell uh, that could compete and displace an embryonic stem cell. And over that same time, we were getting a lot of people were asking us to address the issue about aborted fetal cells that are used in longstanding production of vaccines. 
And so after we completed that, we looked at how can we address that. And there was some particular stem cells that, adult stem cells, that were rare and unique in cord blood. And this particular stem cell um, is very unusual in that it can produce one, one million times, one billion times of cells just from one cord blood delivery in about 25% of newborn deliveries. And so that's, for in the area of adult stem cells, that's unprecedented. And what we did is we needed to try to increase the longevity of that stem cell. And so we developed um, genetic technologies to increase the lifespan of that cell so that it would be a replacement for what we everyone now talks about is the HEK293 cell line that are used in most, of, if not all, the uh, vac COVID-19 vaccines that are being launched by Operation Warp Speed. Okay, that's very interesting. Um, you know, Bishop Strickland's been very outspoken about the need for ethical vaccines, and I know this is something that's, that's very important to you. Um, yes, Dr. Moy, I really commend you for really following what the church has called for, even back in 2005, acknowledging that ethical vaccines and other medications we're finding are not available sometimes for certain vaccines, certain categories of medication. And the Vatican said that under the circumstances, people could receive these vaccines that were produced unethically. But the church very clearly called for working toward ethical vaccines and to cease using aborted children to produce these. Uh, so I really commend you. Uh, you started in 2007, and I know it's been a, a long process and complicated process, but I commend you for, for taking up that charge. And really, that is where, in working with Dr. Stacy here at the Institute in the Diocese of Tyler as one bishop, I really have tried to focus on that call presently. We're dealing with, I guess, now on the market, three different vaccines from different companies that all have some significant relationship to aborted children. Um, and as you've demonstrated, through the wonders of science, we can and must, in my opinion, find ways to not use the, the bodies of children whose lives have been taken, but to find ways to ethically produce the same vaccines. I know that as Dr. Stacy and I have looked at the, the vaccine issue for COVID-19, um, there are companies, there are research lines that are working on vaccines that have no association with abortion. And that's what we really need to call for Catholics and many Christians and many non-Christians who know that life is sacred in the womb are with us in saying, we want vaccines that are ethically produced. And as the Vatican and the USCCB has said, 
that in this situation, since there aren't vaccines available, that people can make their own ethical choice of using their free will to receive that vaccine. And many people are, probably uh, maybe the majority, but many people are receiving the vaccines. But as I've argued, along with that permission, in a sense, we have an obligation as a world community, and certainly the scientific community and the religious community, to provide those who have a deep concern about these unethically produced vaccines and other medications. We have a a justice issue, I believe, to provide ethically produced vaccines so that those who would receive a vaccine if it were ethically produced will have the opportunity to do so. Yes, uh, thank you, Bishop Strickland. I think that um, that's an, a very good point. I think it's important that Catholics um, need to be aware that um, they can exercise their moral conscience, uh, notwithstanding the moral issues with these COVID-19 vaccines. I mean, there are genuine um, scientific shortcomings of these vaccines that uh, I don't think get much attention that are not necessarily uh, require people struggling on the moral issue that there are alternatives um, and perhaps justifications why you don't need to take those vaccines. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, the, the, the vaccine, the data from the vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna um, are showing what they purported is a 95% success rate. But if you really look at the data, uh, the vaccines are really skewed towards younger, healthy individuals. But in those who are the most vulnerable, those are in the elderly over 70, those with chronic diseases, there's not a lot of data Mm -hmm. on the outcome of those, uh, with those patients. And so, you know, these vaccines, have a lot of scientific shortcomings that um, that because they were rushed out, because they are based on what we call gene therapies. Mm-hmm. And gene therapies have been attempted in the past with vaccines and haven't had a very good track record. In the case of HIV, uh, the gene therapies were used in as a vaccine for trying to prevent HIV and what actually happened is the, those patients who were given the vaccine actually had a higher risk of acquiring uh, HIV. So gene, most of these vaccines are being rolled out up under Operation Warp Speed are gene therapies, and they carry their own vagrances in yeah. terms of efficacy and safety that, um, that people are, feel compelled because of the fear of COVID, that they have to get vaccinated, when in fact, um, it's not clear that those who are at the highest risk are actually being immune protected, or that they're actually even preventing viral transmission. So there's a lot of misinformation that um, uh, uh, for promoting the vaccine, uh, and actually ignoring some of the alternative treatments uh, like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin that can reduce the risk of 
of mortality, hospitalization, and viral transmission in those patients who are at the highest risk. And so what we have right now is a really a politicization uh-huh. of COVID. Yeah. Doctor, where would you, I know it's complicated scientifically, but I think Dr. Stacy had asked earlier, but could you basically tell us where you are in the process of being able to announce we now have a vaccine for COVID-19 that is ethically produced with no association to abortion. How far are we from that as far as your research and your work? Well, our our vaccine program is still in the preclinical stages. So what we are focusing on is uh, what's called an attenuated live vaccine. Uh, this is basically a live virus that has been weakened genetically. And um, attenuated live vaccines are, have, have been the historic, the historic gold standard of vaccines for a, a number of diseases in the past. The problem is that Operation Warp Speed did not support those types of vaccines because it would take too long. So that's why they rolled out these gene therapies because it was quicker developed. So we are um, developing the genetic uh, tools and the cell lines to produce that vaccine. We think under the best case scenario, um, we would be in animal testing in about nine to 12 months. Mm -hmm. And it would take probably a good year of uh, thorough animal testing before it can be approved for a phase one clinical trial. And so, um, you know, we're, I'm cautious about trying to overpromise that we would have a vaccine ready just because uh, we have to make ensure that there is sufficient uh, safety and efficacy to justify providing it into uh, human testing. But I think there is good scientific rationale that developing a attenuated live vaccine would have significant advantages over the current vaccines that are are being rolled out now and in the future. Number one, um, the vaccine would likely provide a more stronger, more potent, more rapid immunity. Mm -hmm. It would not require more than one administration uh, it would have the ability to have cross protection against other unrelated strains of coronaviruses, whereas our current vaccines are very narrow mm-hmm. because of the way they're constructed. And so, the um, so we 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 wouldn't expect that you would have to take this vaccine every year, like what's been purported with Moderna and Pfizer, that you have to do these, you have to get an annual gene therapy vaccine, vaccine yearly to keep up with all the mutations and the variants that arise over time. The challenge is, is that we're, we're talking about trying to develop new technologies from the ground up. And, you know, research just takes time. And uh, so what we're trying to do is trying to go as fast as we can within, you know, the confines of what the FDA you know, requires us to do. What about your cell line? Um, I'm interested to know if you have, uh, how close you are to having an ethical cell line and what the chances are of 
getting other big pharma companies to use it. So like, for example, if Moderna used an ethically produced cell line to test, then their product would be would be re- would be completely not dependent on abortion. Um, is there any chance of doing something like that? Yes, I think so. I think that um, what we're hoping to do sometime this year is to release that cell line. Great. Um, so that um, if for, if they wanted to design or test uh, new generations of their vaccines, um, they would be able to come to us and be able to use that cell line. And actually that cell line has uh, advantages over the HEK-293. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the advantages is that the HEK-293 um, is not even really human anymore. Um, it's 50 years old. It has 64 chromosomes. Um, the normal chromo- human chromosome number is 46. Um, it has a number of unknown viral, viral sequences and mutations in, in, that, uh, in the, the 293 cell. In our cell line, um, it has no mutations. We know exactly where we genetically changed it. And also, um, the cell line naturally expresses the receptor for the COVID-19 normally, whereas in the case of the 293, it's absent, and you have to introduce that cell line. So there's there's a lot of advantage of the cell line. So for for small-scale applications of testing and designing, um, it should be more than adequate for a farmer to use that. And so we're hoping um, not just uh, for pharma, but we've had a lot of Catholic scientists around the world who come to us who are looking for a cell line to do research instead of having to use the 293. So Mm -hmm. um, we're, we're working hard and trying to find out how we can uh, figure out uh, legally and uh, how we can get this cell line out to scientists so that they don't have to struggle with uh, uh, whether they are using the 293. Right. And so if people want, I mean, we get this question a lot. Have you heard of the work the JP2 Medical Research Institute is doing? How come Catholics aren't giving them all the funding they need to bring this to bear? What are your needs? What can, how can you answer that question? If people want to get involved and help you raise funds, what do you need funds for? What are you going to do? How's that directly going to move the needle on getting these ethical alternatives to people, to the market? So I think what we need to do is uh, get the get the animal, get the research, the preclinical research done in as fast as possible so that we can get the proof of concept um, doing the animal testing, get it to a proof of concept so that we can go to the government and go to the pharmaceutical industry to find someone who would like to license and take it over. Um, that's, that's the, um, and that's going to take probably, uh, about a couple million dollars to get that done. And so that it, it satisfies, um, the pharmaceutical industry that we have addressed a lot of the technical issues for them to take on the risks. So, um, 
that may sound like a lot of money, but actually from the standpoint of uh, uh, drug development, that's pretty um, pretty low cost. So yep. we're, our, our campaign this year is um, to raise about $750,000 um, to try to get this push into animal studies. Um, and then um, we're hoping by t- two years we will be able to um, have a vaccine that can be approved by the FDA and then licensed um, to the pharmaceutical industry so that they can take over. That's great. Very good. Thank you for your work. I know it's uh, complex and probably keeps you very busy, but it, uh, I, I would just say as a bishop who is not the scientist, but we really encourage you and we need scientists like you to, to really reinforce that the life in the womb is a human person that is sacred. And that, to me, is the bottom line that we have kind of lost focus on with in the midst of all of this, that um, every life is a gift from God, and we really need to reinforce that. And I know it's troubling to many believing Christians and Catholics who know that that life in the womb is sacred, that it should not be terminated in abortion. And then using that is, as you said, very troubling to committed Catholics and Christians. So I commend you for your work and uh, we pray that it can bear good fruit and allow people to take advantage of the God-given abilities. I mean, you are given a tremendous mind and, and talent to be able to do this research. And thank you for taking the, the godly path of respecting life and not helping one life while diminishing another. That's kind of where we are in the world today. So thank you very much. Welcome. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today, Dr. Moy. Um, I know I speak for a lot of people. We appreciate very much what you're doing, and we're eager to help. Um, So a thank you from a whole bunch of people. We've been visiting with Dr. Alan Moy, Scientific Director of the John Paul II Medical Research Institute and CEO of Cellular Engineering Technologies Incorporated. Uh, Thank you for joining us, and could we close with a blessing? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Spirit. Almighty God, we thank you for the gift of life, for all the opportunities you give us each day as an expression of your love in each of our lives. Help us to treasure each child conceived in the womb and all the unborn children. Help us to move to a better place in our society and in our world where those lives are respected, as every life should be, after birth until natural death. We pray that Dr. Moy's work will be blessed and guided by the Holy Spirit. May the Blessed Virgin Mary intercede for all of the children of God. And we ask this blessing in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop Strickland and Stacy, for all the attention you're bringing to this topic. Thank, Thank you. you. God bless.